open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are hardback black Bibles under the chair underneath you or in front of you. You can grab one of those and we'll be on page 861. I really want you to have a Bible open this morning because this is God's word for us. Last Sunday, Pastor Nathan did a great job leading us through the beginning of Luke chapter 5 where Jesus called his first disciples. Jesus, sitting in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, there on the the banks of the sea, had been teaching the people. And after he had finished teaching, he told Peter to pull out into the deep and let down his nets. And, And as he did that, Peter did what Peter does so incredibly well. He argued with Jesus. He said, Lord, we have been out here all night long. We caught nothing, but since you say so, I guess we'll do it. And so they, they throw their nets over the side, and, and as they do, and their nets are filled with this massive catch, Peter is overwhelmed. He calls his partners to come out in another boat, and both boats are overwhelmed, and Peter is just in awe and fear as he recognizes the power and authority that Jesus has. And as these men are filled with that awe and wonder, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, from now on, you're going to be fishers of men. And as we looked at all of that last week, Pastor Nathan helped us to see that when we have an encounter with Jesus, he calls us out and puts us on mission. Jesus doesn't save us for us to just sit back and do nothing. He doesn't save us so we can be comfortable in our salvation. He saves us so that we can live for him. That's what we saw last week. But now as we continue forward in chapter 5, Jesus' ministry is going to continue in the region of Galilee. And we're going to see Jesus have an encounter with a man who is suffering from leprosy. And as Jesus interacts with this man, it's going to teach us a whole lot about the love and grace and mercy that Jesus has for us. And how we can respond to that love and grace and mercy. So let's dive right in. Luke chapter 5. And it's just five verses today, starting at verse 12. The Bible says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make for an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, As we look at this short encounter that your son had there in Galilee some 2,000 years ago, I ask that you would help us to learn from this. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that will understand just how significant Jesus' embrace of this man who was an outcast really was. Help us to see that that same embrace is waiting for us. That we can come to Jesus as we are. He welcomes us in as we are. Father, work in us today. Help us to get past shame and fear to come to you boldly. And Father, if there's someone here today who hasn't 
repented of their sin, who hasn't placed their faith in Christ, I ask that today would be the day where that happens. That today would be the day where they repent of their sin and come and follow Christ and experience that joy and freedom that is found only in Christ. Father, we know that you are able to do all of this. We know that your word is for us, and so help us to hear from you today. We love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Need a drink here. Mm. I thought I knew what the answer would be. The truth is, I knew the question needed to be asked. I'd known for months that it needed to be asked, but sometimes, if the question to be asked is big, if the consequences of the question or the favor that you're asking are significant enough, sometimes you get a little bit afraid. But I got to the point where I couldn't wait any longer. So one afternoon in November of the year 2000, I went to lunch at an Italian restaurant. I ordered spaghetti and meatballs. She ordered lasagna. I was nervous. I knew what I had to ask. Uh, We ate our lunch. We talked. It was fairly uneventful. and, And then we ordered dessert. After we ordered the dessert, I got up and went to the bathroom. And I stood there in the bathroom in front of the mirror holding this box with a ring inside it. And I knew... I knew I had to ask, and I'm pretty sure I knew what the answer would be, but still, I was afraid. I I was terrified. I, I stood there, and I didn't know what to do. But I knew I had to ask, and so I went back to our table. Our desserts came, and and we ate, and when they were finished, I stood up, and I knelt down, and and I got to be honest, I have no idea what words came out of my mouth, but I know they ended with, will you marry me? And while I don't remember how I asked, I'll never forget how she responded. Because as I knelt there, I wasn't standing, as I knelt there on the floor of that Italian restaurant asking her if she would be my bride, she said nothing. (laughs) Dead silence for what felt like an eternity. She said nothing. I couldn't breathe. I'm terrified. And so so finally she speaks up and she says, and I quote, I didn't expect this. (laughs) I'm still not breathing. I still have no idea what's happening. And so finally I say, Tama, I need an answer. (laughs) Even if it's no. (laughs) And then finally she said yes. Sometimes when you have a big question to ask, sometimes when it's a life-changing question to ask, when the consequences are huge, sometimes you're afraid to ask. What if they say no? What if they won't do it? What if I'm rejected? What if sometimes we're afraid? And the bigger the request is, the bigger the fear and anticipation is. And that's sort of what we're seeing right here in these five verses today. Jesus has this encounter with a man who is full of leprosy, and the man has got a question to ask. It's a life-changing question to ask, and he's afraid. But what we're going to see as we look at this encounter with Jesus, the, the object lesson that's before us in this encounter with these five verses is that Jesus has more grace and mercy to offer than we expect. So come to him and ask. That's what we're seeing in this today. That's what this is teaching us. Sometimes we're afraid to come to Jesus. 
We think that we're too messy. We think we've sinned too much. We think he might say no, but what we're seeing in this brief encounter is that Jesus has more grace and more mercy to offer than we expect. So we can come to him. We can just ask. As as this encounter begins right here, it begins without a whole lot of details. And because of that, we almost might feel like this is not really teaching us a whole lot, that that this is really just one short encounter of this medical healing that Jesus performs. But what I want you to see is how incredibly rich this little pericope, that's just a big church seminary word that means account or story, this pericope is right here. It starts in Galilee. The context doesn't tell us that. It, it doesn't tell us that in the text itself, but the context surrounding it does. We, we don't know the exact location except that it's in one of the cities in the region. Almost certainly, this is one of the cities that Jesus had in mind at the end of chapter 4 when he told the people of Capernaum, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns as well. Jesus is here in one of the cities. We don't know which, but, but the truth is the location isn't important. Now, there are times as we're studying our Bibles where, where Jesus is at, his physical location as he's teaching or as he's healing or as he's working, there are times where his location matters. This just isn't one of those times. Here what matters is the encounter that Jesus has. So take a look. Luke tells us there at verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus... He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you you know that the implications of this man's description, that he is full of leprosy, you know they are enormous. Medically speaking, leprosy, in the worst cases, is used to describe a disease that's known today as Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is a bacterial skin condition that affects the nerves, the skin, the eyes, the nasal passages, and that bacteria, it affects the nerves under the skin, which can cause them to swell and cause the skin to change color, and affected areas lose the ability to sense touch and pain, which can lead to further undetected injuries, cuts and burns, and and untreated, those injuries can fester and become quite gruesome. When we think of leprosy, most often we're thinking of Hansen's disease. But here, what we need to understand is that in the first century, leprosy was more than just Hansen's disease. In fact, by some ancient scribes' accounts, the the term leprosy is applied to more than 70 different skin diseases, including lupus and ringworm and eczema. Now, now just to, to make this real for us here, I've had eczema on my right shin like most of my adult life. It's annoying, but it's not that big a deal. According to the Bible, according to Leviticus chapter 13, I would be considered a leper. Okay, that's what is going on here. And while we don't know the form of the leprosy that that this man had, the reality is the requirements of the Mosaic law made any form of leprosy, whether mild or severe medically, significantly worse. Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 contain the laws regarding leprosy how it's identified, what would happen if you were found to be leprous, how you could be declared clean. Just the process of identifying whether or not you had leprosy could involve weeks of isolation. But if you were found to be leprous, you would be socially ostracized. 
You'd be excluded from the community. You were required to live alone and wear torn clothes and keep your hair messy. You had to announce to everyone that you were unclean. You were required to stand at a distance of 50 paces away from everyone at all times. And if you were standing under a tree and enjoying the shade of that tree and somebody walked by, that person would be considered unclean as well. If you had leprosy and you walked into a house, that house was defiled and contaminated. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus said that lepers were treated as if they were, quote, in effect, dead persons, end quote. And while that ostracism wasn't intended to be cruel, it was necessary because these skin conditions were contagious. This ostracism was real nonetheless. One biblical scholar commented that the social consequences of leprosy were perhaps worse than the illness itself. The disease deprived victims not only of health, but of their names, their occupations, their social habits, their families, their fellowship. And if that's not enough, leprosy was generally regarded as divine punishment. If you had leprosy, most people thought it was a punishment from God himself. And so the only way to be cured was for God to heal you. Which is why, by the way, this man asked to be made clean, not to be made well. There was this belief that this illness was a result of sin. And so it wasn't just that he needed the illness to be removed. He needed his sin to be forgiven. Which is the language that both he and Jesus use right here. Look at what he says there in verse 12. We're told when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This isn't just a request for medical healing. This is a request for restoration and reconciliation. That's what this man is asking for. This man is a social outcast who wants to return to normalcy. And as this man sees Jesus, he comes in complete humility and desperation. The Bible says he fell on his face and he begged Jesus for healing. And I want you to see Jesus doesn't send him away. Jesus doesn't avoid the encounter, and that matters for you and me. Because even as this encounter begins, we can see the kind of love and mercy and grace that Jesus has for broken people. I want you to keep that in mind as we're reading this. And look at what the man says to Jesus, because this matters. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, doesn't that seem like a strange request? He doesn't say, if you can, would you make me clean? No, the man apparently knows that Jesus can heal him. The man knows that Jesus has it within his power to make him well. It appears he's heard the reports that have been circulating all throughout the region. Maybe he heard about the man with the unclean spirit up in Capernaum. Maybe he heard how Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law or or all the people who had come that were sick with various diseases up in Capernaum. Somehow, this man has heard that Jesus is able to heal people. He doesn't seem to doubt whether or not Jesus can heal him. He doubts whether or not Jesus will heal him. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Isn't that just like us? Don't we do this all the time? We know what the Bible says. 
We know that Jesus has paid the price for our sin. We know that he's done everything necessary to reconcile us to God. We know in our heads the historical facts of the gospel. We know that Jesus died on the cross for our sin in our place. We know that he was buried in that tomb We know that on the third day he rose in victory over sin and death. We know that if we will repent of our sin, if we will place our faith in him, we know all of that, that he'll forgive our sin, he'll give us his righteousness. We know all of this. We know what Jesus has done. We just don't think he actually wants to forgive us. We question whether or not he will forgive us. So often we're tempted to think that This time, we've gone one step too far. This time, we think we've sinned one time too many. This last failure, this last sin was the last straw. We we think that we've out-sinned his grace, and so Jesus isn't willing anymore. Don't you see yourself in this leper? We're so much like him. Here, in this leper, we see this combination of doubt and faith simultaneously. He has the faith to believe that Jesus can cleanse him, but he doubts that Jesus is willing to do it. And this is where this guy makes such a great example for us to follow. Because somehow, in in the struggle between doubt and faith, faith wins out. The man leans into his hope. Where doubt is is pulling him to draw away, his faith pushes him further in. He leans into his hope. And so he comes to Jesus and he falls on his face and he's begging him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And listen to me, this is what we need to do too. When you're faced with doubt, When you're faced with uncertainty, when you're not sure, and that doubt is causing you to want to back away and just give up, you've got to grab hold of that smallest amount of faith that you have and just lean in. That's what this man does. And this isn't a one-off event. We see this elsewhere in the Gospels. Mark chapter 9 is, is maybe my favorite example of this. So if you've got your Bibles open, flip over to Mark chapter 9. There in Mark 9, this this man has a son who's possessed with an unclean spirit, and and the father, in desperation, he goes to Jesus' disciples, and he asks Jesus' disciples to cast this demon out, but they're not able to do it, and so they, they come to Jesus, and the father asks Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, and I want you to see what happens. Look, look at this. We'll throw it on the screens. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. The Bible says, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And then listen how the father responds. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I know. I, I just don't know. So would you help me to know? He just confesses it. Listen, it's okay to have doubt. Can we be just honest here? It's okay. It's okay to have doubt. But don't let that doubt lead you into shame. Because if you do, the doubt wins. When doubt comes, confront it. When you're not sure, just take it to Jesus. 
Whatever little faith you have, cling to that. And if you don't have faith, like the Father here in Mark chapter 9, ask for it. Say, Father, I believe, but I don't believe. So would you grow my faith? Would you help me to believe? Take that doubt to Jesus. Just ask. After all, that's what the the leper did. That's what the Father in Mark 9 did. And I want you to look at what happens Back over in Luke, look at verse 13. Luke tells us Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. The man had hoped against hope that Jesus might be willing to help him. And Jesus responds and says, I will be clean. And the moment that Jesus spoke, the leprosy left Immediately, it's gone. He was cured instantaneously. Jesus' grace for that man flowed out at his request. He didn't ask the man if he deserved to be cleansed. You saw that, right? Like, Like he didn't ask, have you followed every letter, every dot, every comma? Have you done everything that the Mosaic law requires you to do as a leper? He he didn't ask him, hey, are you going to live up to the law? Are you going to do everything in your power to follow the law for the rest of your life, to never sin? No. He doesn't do any of that. Unconditionally, he offers grace. Unconditionally, he makes this man clean at his request. Jesus responds and says, I will be clean. He didn't deserve healing, but Jesus gave it to him anyway. That's grace. And it was ready and waiting. But do you see the mercy? Because there's mercy here too. In Mark's gospel, his account of of this encounter that Jesus has, it it tells us that Jesus was moved with pity for the man. Jesus' mercy, his, his goodness toward a man in misery and distress is evident as he reached out and he touched the man. Luke tells us right there in verse 13. He says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You recognize Jesus didn't have to do that, right? Jesus didn't have to reach out and touch the man to make him well. He's demonstrated this already. All he has to do is say the word and he's healed. All he has to do is speak and the leprosy would be gone. But Jesus doesn't just speak. He leans over, and he reaches out past the boundaries of the law. He he reaches past the boundaries of social norms. He reaches past the boundaries of medical safety. He reaches past all of these boundaries to touch this unclean, diseased, ostracized, unwelcome sinner of a man. He touches him. It's a violation of the Mosaic law. Under the law, Jesus should now be unclean himself. But what happens? Jesus touches the sinner, and it doesn't make Jesus sinful. It makes the sinner clean. New Testament scholar James Edwards, I love this, he called it a reverse contagion. He said, rather than Jesus being polluted by the leper, the leper is cleansed by Jesus' holiness. Jesus' grace and mercy overflow in this act of compassion, this act of love, as he reaches out and touches a man who's been cut off from the rest of society. 
I mean, think about what this man was going through. He hasn't known the touch of another person in so long. So Jesus touches him. You can't miss this. Everyone else would have warned the leprous man to not come any closer. Everyone else would have walked away, but Jesus doesn't do that. He goes and he embraces him. Jesus is willing to touch what everyone else won't. He embraces this man right where he's at. I was having a conversation with another pastor this week, and he said it's kind of like a little boy that touches a slug. You you remember this, right? Like, you've seen boys do this. Men, I'm sure, when we were boys, we did this. We see that slug, and it is slimy and disgusting and nasty. And we know it's probably not going to go well, but, but I have to touch that, right? And so we reach out, and for just a moment, we touch it, and then we pull our hand back. And he was saying, that's, that's kind of like Jesus with sinners and outcasts. Jesus sees them, and, it, and instead of being repulsed by them, he reaches out to embrace them and welcome them in. Now, as boys, we, we did that for just an instant, right? Like, touch, and we're done. But that's not what Jesus does. When, when Jesus sees the slug, he, he picks it up. He says, I love you. I care about you. You have value and worth. I want the best for you. And listen, we're the slug. That's what Jesus is doing with us in our sin. We are filthy and nasty and unwelcome, but Jesus welcomes us in just like he did the leper. When we think that we are sinful beyond measure, when we think we've gone one step too far, when we think we've sinned one time too many, this last failure, this last sin is the last straw. When we think that we have out-sinned his grace and mercy, Jesus is there to embrace us and welcome us in. All we have to do is ask. But here's where I, I have to pause and just be clear. Make absolutely no mistake. Our sin breaks his heart. Your sin will rightly earn God's just wrath. Your sin is rebellion against our sovereign creator and God. But what we're seeing right here, what we're seeing in the gospel, is that Jesus is waiting and he's offering mercy. He's offering grace. He's offering forgiveness. All we have to do is come to him. All we have to do is ask. He's calling us to himself. Jesus is calling us in and he's saying, come in, repent of your sin, follow me. Jesus has more grace and mercy to offer than you'd expect. So just come to him and ask. That's what this is teaching us. But as we keep moving forward in the text, this this really strange and somewhat confusing thing happens in this account. As Jesus touched the leper, completely violated the Mosaic law. Jesus just broke the law. But then he immediately turns to the man as he's cleansed and he tells the man to obey the law. That doesn't make any sense. Look at verse 14. Luke says, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus tells the man not 
to stop and tell his friends what's happened, but to go straight to the priest and in accordance with Leviticus 14, provide an offering for your cleansing as a proof to them. There are three animals that had to be sacrificed, whether he was rich or poor. It was either two lambs and a dove or or one lamb and and two doves. But either way, he's told to make an offering as a proof to them. And the them there, it's talking about the priest who would actually make the offering in his place for him there at the temple. And what scholars seem to think when, when he says a proof for them, what Jesus is trying to communicate is he needs to let them know that God is at work in him. The, the priests, the religious leaders of Israel, they need to know about God's working through Jesus. So Jesus tells the man to go and make a sacrifice. But in the bigger picture here, the, the reason why Jesus just violated the law, and now he's telling this man to obey the law, is that Jesus understood that the law wasn't meant to separate us from God. It was meant to lead us to him. The law was meant to show us our sin. The law was meant to help us see that our sin separates us from God. And try as we may, we cannot fix that problem on our own. It was meant to lead us to know that we need a Savior. It was meant to lead us to the point where we come to him for salvation. So Jesus sends this man to offer his sacrifice and let the priest know that salvation has arrived. And even though Jesus told him to be quiet, the word got out. Mark's gospel tells us that the man couldn't keep the good news to himself. He began to freely talk about it and spread the news. And if I can just be perfectly honest, this is where I'm kind of, I don't know what to tell you. Because Jesus told him not to say anything, and he's clearly disobeying Jesus. Like, what do we do with that? Well, there is this truth here for us. Because what we see in this is that When you have an encounter with Jesus, when Jesus steps into your life and he cleanses you and reconciles you to God, when that happens, you can't keep it to yourself. You're going to talk about it. You're going to tell other people what he's done. You're going to overflow with this joy that you experience and other people are going to hear because the reality is when you have an encounter with Jesus, when you experience his grace and mercy for yourself, when you understand that joy where your sin has been forgiven and you've been completely reconciled to the Father, when that happens, you can't keep that joy to yourself. And this isn't in my notes, but listen, if you have never been there, if you've never had that moment where you're like, man, I can't help but tell you how I've been forgiven and set free, Maybe you haven't. I don't want to lead you into doubting your salvation, but I want you to examine yourself. And have I truly repented of my sin? Have I truly come and asked for forgiveness and received it and known just how weighty my sin is and how huge his mercy and grace is? Because what we're seeing here, and we're going to see it all the time in the Gospels, is that when you have an encounter with Jesus you start talking. You start telling other people about it. That's what happens here. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. Listen, Jesus's working in your life isn't meant to terminate on you. 
You know that, right? Like Jesus worked in the life of this leper. He healed the leper, and, and he told the leper to don't tell anyone, but, but he does. And, and he goes out, and as the leper experiences the grace and mercy of Jesus, he starts proclaiming it to other people as well. And as they hear that, they start coming to Jesus so they can experience Jesus for themselves. They come in, and they got to hear of his kingdom. They got to hear his good news. They got to experience his grace, his mercy for themselves. And it works the same way with us. When you experience that grace and mercy, you're going to share it with others. And that's going to bring that grace and mercy to them. The overflow of Jesus' grace and mercy in your life can result in grace and mercy being experienced in the lives of others. That's how God in his sovereignty has decided to spread his gospel. Pastor Nathan taught us this last week. When we have an encounter with Jesus, he calls us out. And then he puts us on mission. And what we're seeing right here is that lived out in the life of the leper. Jesus healed the leper, and the leper tells other people, and other people come to Jesus. And we do the same thing. We share what Jesus has done for us. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a deacon. You don't need to have been a Christian for 30 years before you're able to tell others what Christ has done. You just simply tell them your story. I was a sinner. I tried to fix it myself. I couldn't fix it myself. Try as I may, I couldn't get it right. But then Jesus, he, he came in and he forgave my sin. And he's willing to forgive yours too. Jesus has more grace and mercy to offer than you'd expect. So come to him and ask. We get to tell others that good news. Just ask. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to have it all together. Just ask. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word of encouragement. We thank you that you have sent your son who has more grace and mercy to offer than we could ever expect. Father, would you help us to walk in that? Would you help us to be dependent on that? Where, where we try to live up to the law on our own, thinking that the law will bring us salvation, where if we just follow the rules, if we're good enough, if we are a good person, we're generous and kind to others, and we do a bunch of things for ourselves, we think that we'll find salvation in that. When that happens, would you confront us and help us to see that try as we may, we can't do it. Would you lead us to the end of ourselves so that we can live for you? Father, when, when we know the truth of the gospel and we come up with excuses and reasons why we can't come to you, we start telling ourselves, oh, oh Jesus doesn't want to forgive you. You've gone too far. That was the last time. Father, when we start telling ourselves all these lies, would you confront us with the truth? When our, when our faith is weak 
when, it, when it's on the verge of non-existent, where, where we're ready to just throw in the towel and just say, forget it, I can't do this anymore. In, in those moments, Father, would you grow our faith? Would you help us to lean in, press in further? Would you give us faith when our faith is weak?